Well, good, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Anne has already uh, explained, we're going to be uh, further exploring this whole theme of living water or rivers of living water. And um, I'll just kind of take you through, because it's, it's, it's a theme that actually spans the whole range of the Bible. I mean, we, we, we didn't mention last time, but in Genesis chapter 2, you have a river flows out of Eden. And the river actually brings life to the whole region. It splits into four rivers and brings life to the whole region around it. Um, moving on, we have in Jeremiah chapter 2, we have a, a quite a negative picture where um, the, 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 Israel, uh, the nation of Israel has actually abandoned God, who describes himself as the Lord, the, um, the, uh, the one who is the spring of living water. They have abandoned the spring of living water who is the Lord and have tried to dig their own, their own cisterns, their own wells, and that has failed miserably. Last week we thought more, more deeply about uh, the river from the temple in Ezekiel chapter 47 and how that river, as it flowed out of the temple, it got deeper, 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 wider, until eventually it flowed into the Dead Sea and the whole thing just brought life and transformation to the whole region again, somewhere that was dead and no prospect of having a life was revived and, and made new, made fresh. And another passage we have is in Ezekiel, or sorry, uh, Zechariah chapter 14. We have this picture, in that day, in the day of the Lord, a, a river would flow out of Jerusalem and it would split both ways, it would go to the, uh, the east and to the west and bring life and, and restoration to those regions. Moving on, in John chapter 4, we have the, the woman at the well where Jesus talks about living water. And in John chapter 7, in the day of uh, uh, the, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, um, Jesus then promises living water that flows from within. And this, that's more specifically what we'll be talking about today. And right at the end of the Bible, in, in Revelation 22, we have this picture of the New Jerusalem and the river that flows from the throne of God and bringing peace and healing to all. Um, and that's the picture that concludes our Bible. So right, right from Genesis to the end of Revelation, we have this theme of, of living water. And it's kind of interesting that um, all these passages tend to be forward-looking. They're rooted in the age to come. Um, they look forward to the age to come and there's a longing for God to come and rule and reign and bring the age to come. And this was something that was prevalent at the time of Jesus. There was a real longing for deliverance, a real longing for forgiveness, for healing, for wholeness, the pouring out of the Spirit, a real longing for peace and, and real shalom, real peace to come and, and envelop the land. But of course, at the time of Jesus, the Romans had ruled. They, there, was a, there was a real sense of oppression because they taxed heavily. And the sense that God's promises that in the prophets had not really come about. They longed to see those promises realized. They longed for the age to come. And of course, they divided time into the present evil, evil age as they saw it. And the age to come when God would come and rule and reign and, and so on. But yet when Jesus comes, he demonstrates this, this breaking in of God's kingdom of the age to come has now been inaugurated in the, in the present because he delivers from the demonic oppression and possession. 
He is the one who brings forgiveness of sins and pronounces forgiveness of sins in various occasions. He is the one who heals. He is the one who brings this wholeness to people. And, and the age to come is now breaking into the present through the ministry, life, death, and, and resurrection of Jesus. So the, the age to come has, has begun today, strangely, and in, in and through Jesus' ministry. And um, thinking about more, more, more directly now to get towards the passage in, in John chapter 7, uh, I don't know if you ever kind of realized, you know, noticed clearly that in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have the kingdom of God constantly on Jesus' lips. And eternal life is something that is very rarely mentioned. In those Gospels, the focus is on the kingdom of God, God's rule, God's reign. And of course, in, the, in those Gospels, that reign, of course, that rule is demonstrated in what Jesus does, what he says through his ministry, again, of forgiveness and healing and so on. But in John's Gospel, that, that, that verbal primacy is reversed. In John's Gospel, Jesus rarely, rarely mentions the kingdom of God. It's, it's not frequently done. But yet the phrase eternal life is prominent. It's measured and uh, spoken very frequently. And of course, people, you kind of, it's common thought, oh, eternal life, that, that just means going to heaven when you die and living forever. Well, actually, no, that's not at all what it means. When Jesus talks about eternal life in, John, in John's gospel, it literally means the life of the age. It's the life of, it's a sort of shorthand phrase for the life of the age to come. And this life, again, is demonstrated through the things that Jesus does. He brings bread, he heals, he brings deliverance, and so on. He pronounces forgiveness, and therefore that life of the age to come is focused upon and how it is coming to, to reality and, and the ministry and, and work of Jesus. So moving on, just finally to your passage, you're probably thinking, when's he ever going to get down to this passage? Well, let's get there now. It's John chapter 7, and I'm just going to read verse 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the greatest day, Jesus stood up and shouted out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scripture says, from within him will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus basically calls out to them to come to him. Those who are thirsty are to come to him. That's the first call. And um, this made me think straight away of, uh, many years ago, when we were young and, and, and lived in Northern Ireland, we, we did this thing called the Bourne Wall Walk. And it, it, it sounds a bit of a stroll, but what it actually was, was you had 12 hours, and in a circular route, you had to climb over all of the peaks in the Bourne Mountains, and you had 12 hours to do it. So the thing was 22 miles, but it was 22 miles not of flat land. It was 22 miles up and down over all these peaks. Some were really rugged, just mountainous, stony things. Some of them were actually 
just bogs. <laughs> it was really wet and, and kind of soggy. And, and one of them was called Sleeve Muck, which was aptly named. It was just a big, slippery mountain of wetness. Anyway, and, um, and it was a real trial to do it. Um, one time we did it, it poured the whole time. Oh, that was miserable. The second time, oh, there was the second time, but another time we did it, it was the opposite. It was so sunny, so hot, so warm. And again, another hand, that was a bit of a rarity. You actually have to do it on a day with the sun shone. Oh, and I thought this was great until you got about halfway around and you realized, ah, oh, I've drunk all my water. <coughs> and you're really thirsty. And of course, you have to strike a balance between carrying a load of water with you, which is extra weight, and then bringing enough. So on this particular occasion, I just got it wrong. I had enough. So about three quarters of the way round, the last peak that you've got to climb is the biggest peak. So up there I was, slogging up this peak, run out of water, the sun beaming down, and I was knackered. Um, I, Believe it or not, the legs in the front of my, uh, the legs, the muscles in the front of my legs were just twitching uncontrollably. They were just kind of doing this constantly. And it was so annoying and really quite strange. But there was one thing that kept me going. I knew about halfway up this mountain, there was a little pipe and out of this poured a stream. So I kept plodding up and eventually halfway up I got there. I probably had about another six or seven miles to go. And that was such a lifesaver and run out of, uh, of, of completely out of water, I was really so thirsty. And I filled my bottle up and sat down for five minutes and drunk. And it was just so refreshing, it brought me back to life. From the point of me thinking, I cannot do this anymore, I'm gonna give up. Suddenly it sort of made me think, actually, I think I can do this now. You know, I've got some water. My legs, I sat down for five minutes, stopped twitching uncontrollably. And I thought, this is great. I was so thirsty. And that's what Jesus sort of comes. Those that are thirsty, those who are fed up with the, the promises, the empty promises of this world, the promise to fulfill, the promise to give us something that it can't deliver, the, can't, the promise to give us meaning, purpose, and joy. And those things are not available in this world. And, and Jesus says, those that are thirsty, those that are tired of this, these promises of the world can come to him. They come to him and they drink and rivers of living water will flow from within. And I just think of that little pipe, that little, that little stream just flowing out and how, what a lifesaver that was. And um, that to me is the picture of coming to Jesus and drinking and he will restore, he will, will refresh. But actually this is not just a call for an instant hit an instant fix. This is a call to discipleship. We have to come and we have to follow him. We have to remain in him, as he says later on in John 15. We have to, dare I say it, stick with it. This is a dynamic thing. This is like the flowing water. The, the, it's interesting that the words living water and in, in Greek actually just mean moving water. It's kind of living water in the sense that it flows. It's not like a well where it's static. So this is a static, a dynamic, not a static picture. It's something that keeps going, something that, dare I say it, is lifelong. It's not instant. However, I do want to suggest that 
somehow discipleship is like this kind of worn wall walk thing where it's just a big slog, you know, and you get worn out and knackered. Um, the, the really strange thing about the worn wall walk was you've done your 22 miles, you've climbed all these peaks in sun or rain, whatever it turned out to be, and you, 12 hours later, you crossed the finish line and you were finished. And if you had said to me at that point, well, are you up for next year? At that point, I would have said, no way, I'm not doing this again ever in my life, ever. I'm knackered, I'm through, I'm done with this. You would have said that. And the weird thing was, the next weekend, if it had been a good, good piece of weather, we would have been sort of saying, oh, the weather's good, let's get down to the morns and get ready for next year. Let's do some walking, let's do some preparation, let's get fit again. And don't ask me how you explain that. We, we sort of, at the time it was tough going, but we enjoyed it so much. We were up for it every year. Until eventually, of course, they had to stop doing it. Um, the, the, the many feet that were doing the paths were, were, were causing quite a lot of erosion of the paths, so they, they, they stopped it. But we were up for it. But yet, just after you'd done it, you sensed, ah, oh, man, I'm done. But yet, there was something about that particular day that was just brilliant the scenery was superb and just the sense of achievement at the end the sense of gratitude i've now done and finished that, that that was that was pretty amazing but jesus says come drink uh what does the drinking involve you know how do we drink how do we get this refreshment how are we refreshed in, in coming to jesus and it's, it's, it's a call to discipleship. So the, the, um, it's essentially what you would describe as old school spiritual disciplines. These are the things that refresh, that restore, that bring life. In other words, things like prayer, things like study of God's word, meditation, and solitude. We witness, we serve, we worship. We share communion together as a fellowship. We fast, we confess to one another, and we celebrate together the goodness of God. So these kind of spiritual disciplines grow and shape us because obviously in this world, we will, we will be molded. We will have all these messages from around us trying to to shape us, to entice us, to capture our, our affections. So we need regularly every day to come aside, to pray, to study God's word, and be remade. Paul in Romans 12 sort of says a similar kind of thing. He, he says at the, in chapter 12, Therefore I ex exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your re reasonable sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, what is pleasing, and what is perfect. So Paul is calling us to present ourselves, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that only happens in the place of prayer and study and meditation, solitude, so that is, in many ways, the, the, the water flowing in, but also the water needs to flow out. We witness, we serve, we worship, 
you know, I'm sure you're all familiar with the old, the old description of, you know, what's the, dif the difference between the Lake of Galilee and the Dead Sea? Well, the Lake of Galilee, you know, the Sea of Galilee, as it was called it, the river flows in one end and it flows out the other, constantly being refreshed and restored. Whereas the Dead Sea, it just flows in, there's no outflow, and it just evaporates in the heat and the salt builds up and everything gets smothered and died and, and killed and poisoned in the end. We need the, the, the word, the life of God to flow in, but also to flow out in service and worship and witness. We need to be renewed. Paul says, uh, just to read another one, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says at the end of a whole discussion of, of Paul's, Paul's apostleship, he says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Um, I to, to kind of draw these few thoughts together, um, and and um, January time actually went uh, over to Northern Ireland. My father had gone into hospital and wasn't capable of now looking after himself. You know, he had to go into home and that. But the time he was in the hospital, and I had the task of clearing out his, his old house, and we come across lots and lots of pictures. You know, I bundled them all up and, and brought them home. And, and Anne, of course, has been looking, you know, through them. She's been putting them into, a, into nice albums and making albums out of them. Um, and there's some amazing, really good pictures in there of times gone by with us when we were younger. Uh, there's a photographs of my dad when he was young, younger, when, when our kids were very small and he was there and he was quite a sizable fit man most of the time. Uh, and and those photos, but at the same time, I was going along to the hospital and seeing him, and he was a shadow of his former self. He, his mind was fogged, and, and his, physically he was wasting away. He was skinny and gaunt, and it was just a huge effort for him just to stand upright. He needed assistance for that. And that was never him, but yet that was the reality at that time. He, he was really a, a shadow of his former self. And it kind of made me think, um, yes, as Paul has hinted, physically we're wasting away, but we're being renewed day by day in Christ if we follow him. And the, 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 the sort of thought was that by following Christ, you become not a shadow of your former self, by following Christ, you become a shadow of your future self. And I mean that in two senses. Gradually, day by day, through coming to him, coming to these streams of living water that, that he promises, we will be renewed and refreshed and changed to be like him. So in that sense, we are a shadow of our future selves because we are, are, are gradually becoming more and more like him as we, we, we undertake this task of discipleship and his life throws in us. But also in the sense of, of Jesus puts all this talk of, of living water in the, in the context of the age to come, eternal life. We long to be made fully like Christ. We long to be transformed, to be like him. And of course, one day that is our hope, that is our future. So we are a shadow of our future selves in that sense, a shadow of what we will become when Jesus, when Jesus comes back. 
and we will be raised to new life, transformed to new life. So we'll be, we will become a shadow of our, our future selves, but that will be realized one day. And that, that provides me uh, and as a tremendous sense of hope, a tremendous sense of, dare I say it, even joy in Christian life. I'm not one for great celebrations, but that is something that, that, that really inspires me onwards. So that would, that would be my thought. Come to Jesus. And of course we have done that, but also we come to him to be renewed, restored, remade, refreshed. And by doing that, we become, we're becoming more and more like him. We are, we are shadows of our future selves. So I'll just hand back to Anne. <clears throat> 